Hey everybody, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod in our series of the goodness of God as we go through Psalm 23, that beloved chapter, verse by verse. And we're on verse three that says, he restores my soul. Now you ever wonder what that means? What does that mean? He restores my soul. What's a soul? See, your soul is your mind. It's your will. It's your emotion. My soul is the part of me that thinks, that chooses, and that feels. It's what makes you, you. And it's very easy to get these damaged. Can your mind be damaged? Of course it can. By what you put in it, by experiences, by trauma, physical trauma, by chemistry, all kinds of things. Your mind can be damaged. You don't always think straight and neither do I. How about your emotions? Can your emotions be damaged? Oh yeah. Your emotions can get raw. They can get depleted. You can be out of it. You can become over-emotional. Yes, our minds are broken, our emotions can be broken, and even your will can be broken, and it can be damaged. So have you ever had a chance to look at your life and you think, I really know the right thing to do, and I want to do the right thing, but then you don't choose it? Because our choosers are broken. We're all flawed in many ways. That's why there are addictions. That's why there are things that you don't want to do, but you, and you don't do the things that you want to do. It's part of your willpower that doesn't always work. (laughs) You agree with that? Your willpower is sometimes never enough. I know it's not for me. Like if I see a cookie in front of me, I almost always take too many cookies. But right now I'm on a anti-sugar, no sugar diet. So it's, it's, it's amazing what not knowing you can't eat sugar really helps you uh, make the right choices in foods. Anyway, when we talk about our soul, the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we choose the decisions that we make. God says, I want to restore that in your life. I want to restore you to wholeness. I want to restore your mind and will and emotions to health. That's one of the things the good shepherd does for his sheep. Remember Psalm 23 starts, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Well, sometimes I need to think straighter. And sometimes I need to feel correctly because my emotions aren't always right. Sometimes they lie to me. And sometimes I need my will fixed because I don't have enough willpower to do what I need to do. Now, what is it that damages your soul? We're going to look at that. And then how does Jesus restore right thinking, right feeling, and right deciding? Then we're going to see how do I make the right decisions to let my soul be restored? In other words, what's my response to what God wants to do in my life? Now, let's begin with what damages your soul. That's what we're going to first look at why you don't always think right. So why don't you always feel right? Why don't you always choose right? There's many things, but here's the most three that are most common. Number one, unaddressed grudges. See, when you get resentful, you get bitter, you start thinking about retaliation or revenge against somebody who's hurt you, it damages your soul. Now, there are a lot of verses about this, but let me first talk about the background. The fact is in life, you're gonna get hurt. Why? (laughs) This isn't heaven. This is earth. We're all broken people and we're all messed up living on a broken world. And sometimes we hurt each other intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. The truth is you're going to be hurt in life. And sometimes people hurt you and sometimes you hurt them. And when that happens, we start to build up grudges. Now let's start at the foundation. Let's start off. Life isn't fair. 
God never said life should be fair or would be fair, I should say. This is not heaven where everything is done perfectly. God's will is always done instantly, perfectly, and completely. But on earth, a lot of times we choose not to do God's will, and that's called sin. Because life isn't fair, the Bible tells us that innocent people suffer. This isn't new. Everybody can see it. The good guys don't always win. The bad guys are often successful. There's injustice everywhere. There's racism. There's prejudice. There's unfairness in the world. And every single one of us in different ways have experienced unfairness or prejudicial treatment against you in some way. So you shouldn't be surprised by that because the world is messed up. Everything is broken. What I'm interested in is not so much the fact that you're going to be hurt in life. And I'm sorry for that. I'm more interested in the fact is how we respond to it. Because our response to how you get hurt in life is far more important than the hurt that we experience. Because it can either make you bitter or it can make you better. And when God wants to restore your soul, he wants to take all the bitter things in your life and turn them into better things. Now, when you have grudges, when people hurt you, you can either let it go or you can start dwelling on it and stewing and spewing and worrying about all things. And you start planning how to retaliate, how to resent, how to get even with them. When somebody hurts you, that puts them beneath you morally when they hurt you. But, but when you try to get even, it puts you on the same level as them. You're no better than they are. When you let it go, when you forgive them, it puts you in a superior position. So what do you do when you're hurt? Do you resent, retaliate, seek revenge? No, 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 don't do that. Job 5.2 says, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish, senseless thing to do. Job 18.4 says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. When you hold on to a grudge, it's not hurting them. It's only hurting you. You're out there having a good time and they're out there doing whatever. They're going to nice restaurants. They're going to Eagles games. They're having a lot of fun. They're totally oblivious. Who gets hurt when you're resentful? You do. It's like drinking poison and hoping that it kills the other person. It's just ridiculous. It's like taking fire into your stomach and hoping they get burned. It doesn't work. Resentment is worthless. It's like giving somebody a dirty look like, what's wrong with you? It says to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish thing to do. Now, the Bible says that one day God's going to even the score. There's going to be a judgment day, and, and God isn't just a loving God. He's a just God. If God was not a just God, people like Hitler could get away with everything they did, and I'm glad that God is a just God. Now, you can get around the judgment by accepting the grace of God absolutely and accepting the salvation that Jesus paid for your sins, but there's going to be a time when we have to stand before, and he's going to measure and I don't want to have to go through the judgment. God doesn't like to judge. He likes to show mercy. All throughout scripture, God is very patient. He'll wait and wait and wait before he judges a nation or a person, things like that. He'd rather be merciful. There's a judgment coming one day and God is going to even the odds and people who are mistreated and misjudged and treated unfairly, there will be an equaling out, a time of justice. But that's not our job. So what do you do? You know what you do? You let it go. You say, Matt, wait, wait. They hurt me so much. You have no idea what I've been through. You're right, I don't. But you have to let it go. Why? Not because they deserve it. Oh, no, they don't. They don't deserve to be forgiven. 
but you don't deserve to be forgiven at all either. But God has forgiven you. You forgive people not because they deserve it. You forgive people because you don't want to carry around the pain around anymore. You don't want to be stuck with unaddressed grudges because it's not going to hurt them. It's only going to hurt you. Martin Luther King once said, bitterness is blindness. I like that because when I get bitter against somebody over here, I get blind to a whole lot of other things. I get blind to how much God has done good in my life. I get blind to the truth. I get blind to all the needs of the people around me. I'll just say this. You're never going to stop hurting and your soul will not be restored until you learn to forgive and let it go. You got to drop it. And then maybe life gets a little bit easier and your soul is restored a little bit when you let it go. The second thing that's common that hurts our soul, that damages our soul is unconfessed guilt. Grudges and guilt are two of the biggest things that warp your soul. Grudges have to do with what people have done to you, and guilt is what you've done to other people or to yourself, and we have both. We've hurt others, and other people have hurt us. Unconfessed guilt, nothing damages your life more, your soul more, nothing will rob your happiness quicker than to go around carrying a load of guilt. Now, a lot of people have a misconception about God. They think God wants us to walk around feeling guilty. No, that's not the case. God hates guilt. God loves to forgive guilt. God doesn't want you to be guilty. He doesn't make your body able to handle guilt. You should only handle guilt for about five seconds, long enough to realize, oh, I was wrong, confessed it to God, and I let it go. You don't carry all your sins around in your life unconfessed. If you do that, it's like carrying a garbage bag full of junk into each new year. Psalm 38, four and six says, David talks about guilt. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Obviously, God doesn't want you to carry that around. Continues, I'm bowed down and brought low and all day long I go about mourning. Now, there's a couple problems with guilt. One of them is that every one of us have a good reason to have it. <laughs> it's legit because we don't always do what's right. We always hurt other people. We do selfish things. I don't know if it bothers you, but it bothers me. I often say the most unkind things to the people I love the most. Let's be honest. That ever happened to you or are you too holy? Oh no, I never say anything mean to my kids or my spouse. <sighs> I wish there was a day that I didn't say something mean. I'm not so holy to think that I'm perfect in my speech every single day. No way. Because to be honest, I'm selfish. At our root, we are selfish. I want what I want when I want it, and your spouse wants what they want when they want it. And my kids are the same way. And I can see it very clearly from them. And when they don't get what they want, oh, they let me know. And when two very self-centered people get together, it's going to cause problems. Add kids, it multiplies it. Because now in my house, there's five of us plus a dog. <laughs> and you know what? That creates a lot of guilt. And it's going to cause a lot of problems. Because now it's not just two imperfect people. It's five imperfect people. And all of a sudden, we're all going in a different direction. And we're trying to create relationships. And there are no perfect relationships. And that's why we need forgiveness. Because unconfessed guilt causes a lot of problems. Proverbs 20, 27 tells us the other reason we have a problem with guilt. is because we run from our own consciences. 
The word gave us a mind, it says, and a conscience. We can't hide from ourselves. You see, you can hide from all kinds of stuff. I can hide stuff from about me and you'll never know it. You can hide a bunch of stuff from your friends or your boss or even your family, but you're not hiding anything from God. Not only that, you're not hiding anything from yourself. And when you try to hide it, it starts eating you on the inside because the Lord gave you a mind and a conscience. We can't hide from ourselves. If you think, you know, I just feel bad. I'm going to go take a vacation. But you take yourself on vacation, but you know what? You also take all the stress that's in your mind, the grudges you have towards other people, and the guilt that you have about the stuff that you've done wrong. Now, what do you do with the guilt? Well, the answer is the same thing as grudges. It's forgiveness. Grudges, you just forgive them. But in guilt, you got to ask God for forgiveness. And then you've got to forgive yourself. Now, normally, we do everything except that. Let me show you all the ways that don't work and why our soul, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we choose, is often broken. When you feel guilty, you don't make smart decisions, and neither do I. And sometimes we just try to deny our guilt. We just pretend it doesn't exist. Denial is not the river in Egypt, which is the dumbest joke ever, and it's so overplayed. But seriously, denial is the thing that keeps you stuck in your guilt. What we do in denial is we just try to pretend that it doesn't exist. And we just say, I'm just going to bury my past. You know what the problem is with burying your past? It resurrects itself just to haunt you at the most inopportune times to come back like the living dead. Something that happened 20 years ago all of a sudden comes back right in your face again. Denial never works. Sometimes we just try to minimize it. And when we minimize our guilt, it's kind of like, well, it's no big deal. Everybody else does it. It wasn't that bad. It's just a little teeny, teeny, tiny sin. It's so tiny. Why do you still remember it? It's not. It's not tiny. If you remember it, it's a big deal. If it keeps coming back in your mind, it is a big deal. And you're not going to get rid of it by denying it or minimizing it. And then another way we deal with it, with guilt, is that we rationalize it. I've said before, rationalize means to tell yourself rational lies. You're trying to convince yourself in your head what your heart knows is wrong. That's what it means to rationalize. And we live in a society where everybody rationalizes everything. If I shout enough, if I affirm it enough, or if I march it enough, I'll think it's okay. But inside your heart is going, it's not okay. Rationalizing doesn't work. Trying to convince your heart with your mind does not work. Your heart's going to win out every time because there's an inbuilt conscience in our lives that God put there. But we rationalize it anyway, but it doesn't make it right. And your heart still knows. And you're going around saying, why doesn't everybody accept me? Why doesn't everybody believe in me? That's the rationalization. You need to listen to your conscience. Another way we deal with guilt is compromise. That's the whole idea of, well, I'm feeling better. And here's the standard. So what I think I'll do is just lower my standard and then I won't feel guilty anymore. Well, we'll say, I don't believe that's a sin. How's that working for you? Again, it's trying to convince your heart what you know is wrong. Compromising. You know, maybe if I just do it enough that it won't be a sin anymore. Here's another way we try to get rid of our guilt. When we feel guilty, we blame other people. 
Because if we can put the blame on them, it gets the focus off of us. Couples do this the most. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husbands, wife, parents, kids. And it goes like this. There's a scale in your mind. And on one side of the scale is blame. And on the other side of the scale is guilt. And the only way you can feel good about yourself is if it's kind of balanced. So when you do something wrong like this, you have to blame somebody because you did that. Yeah, you did it. You have to remember that really big thing you did. The scales really never balance out. But we blame each other. We make ourselves feel better by making other people guilty. There are people who you have a spouse and you go over the edge and you've done something wrong and they come back and say, I'm sorry, I apologize. And you want to rebuild trust. I want to make this marriage work. But the other person doesn't let it go. And no matter how many good per- good things you do, it's never enough because they'll always remember. If you're doing that with a spouse, you're, you're killing the marriage because you're becoming unpleasable. You're acting like you're God and they're not. Anybody can hold you accountable for stuff you've done too. So why do we hold on to things like filing cabinets? Even if they keep doing it, you got to let it go. Blaming doesn't work because every time you blame, you want, you are being, be lame. I know that is so lame. <laughs> you blame others and you got this scale. Why don't, pe- why don't people just forgive? If I can forgive, then, then I can keep blaming you for it, which makes me feel better. You see, if I'm trying to balance between guilt and blame in my life and all of a sudden you ask for forgiveness, then that sets me off balance and say, I say, sure, I'll forgive you. Now I don't have to, anyone to blame anymore. So what happens? The scale tilts towards me and I feel bad. I don't want to forgive you because then it's all on me. And there's nothing to even the scales because I can't blame anymore. You keep yourself intentional all the time. Your soul needs to be restored and it's being chipped away at, eaten away at like a little bacteria or a virus just working on your heart, making it smaller and smaller. And eventually you turn into the Grinch. <laughs> where your heart needs to grow three sizes one day. Anyway, anytime I can mention the Grinch in a, in a podcast, even if it's in the middle of May, why not, right? Let's go back. We blame, we rationalize, we minimize, we compromise our guilt, and none of it works. We even try another way that doesn't work. We beat ourselves up. Sometimes for the rest of our life, we try to atone for our sins. We try to make up for it. And a lot of people actually sabotage their own success and they don't even realize that they're doing it because they feel guilty about something in the past. They feel unworthy. And because I feel they unworthy, they go, well, this is too good. I shouldn't be getting this much blessing. I know what I've done. I know all these things. I'm not worthy of this. And as a result, you start setting yourself up for failure and you beat yourself up because internally you're like, well, I've done something wrong. Somebody's got to pay for it. And subconsciously, we try to pay for our own mistakes and our sins by getting sick or failing or it can cause all kinds of stuff. Guilt can make you depressed. It can make you desperate. It can set you up for failure. I don't deserve to succeed. None of those things work. There's only one thing that works to get rid of unconfessed guilt. Confess it. Just admit it. Confession is simply means to agree with God. You're right, God. 
I screwed up. That was wrong. I don't deny it. I don't minimize it. I don't rationalize it. I don't compromise it. I don't blame anybody else for it. I don't belittle myself. I don't beat myself up for it. I just admit it. It's not hard. It's actually harder not to confess your sins. It's actually harder not to confess your guilt because you're holding on to this pain and this guilt and you're making up all these excuses when you just say, you know what? I messed up. God, get rid of it. And he will. Third thing that damages our soul is unprocessed grief. Now you have grief in life because you're going to have losses. There's no growth in life without change. There's no change in life without loss because you give up some old to get some new. There's no loss without pain and there's no pain without grief. You got to learn how to grieve good. Now, grief is not a bad thing. Guilt's a bad thing. Grudges are a bad thing. Grief is actually a good thing. It's the way we get through the transitions of life. Psalm 31, 9, David says, Lord, have mercy on because I'm in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying. You ever been there before? And my whole being is tired from grief. This is what grieving is life. This is what God expects from us. If anybody tells you you're grieving too long, just walk away from them. They don't understand. They just don't get it. This is what God expects from us. This is the way we were made. We were made to grieve. And sometimes grief gets caught too short and we don't process it. And sometimes we need a very, very, very long time and sometimes never. Sometimes we process grief our entire lives. But as we process it, it gets less and less and less because we need it. It's a mechanism that we have to deal with things to deal with the transitions in life. I've been dealing with the passing of my dad and it hasn't been easy. Loss never is. And I've been grieving, but it has not been a bad thing. It's just hard. It's life. Here's a side note. Never minimize anyone's grief. It's way more important than we realize. Grief looks different to every person because we are not the same. We are all unique. We all grieve in different ways. What is the bad thing is unprocessed grief. You haven't learned how to deal with it, how to go through the stages of grief. Grieving helps us get through the transitions of life. Now, if grudges don't get you, guilt will. And if guilt doesn't get you, grief will. And all of us can have these things that kind of eat away at our soul and the way we think, the way we feel, the decisions we make. Now, the question is, how does Jesus, our good shepherd, from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. How in the world does he help us with our grudges and our guilt and our grief? Jesus, our shepherd, does it in three ways. Oh, I hate to do this, but we have run out of time. So we, I can't get to the good stuff. I can't get to how he takes care of it. We're going to have to wait till the next pod as we look at how Jesus restores our soul next week and how we should respond. And I'm going to try to release part two early. But before that, you know what? Confess it to God. Let yourself grieve. Let yourself realize that, you know what? I'm not going to be bound by guilt. I'm not going to let grudges rule my life. And I'm going to grieve when I need to. 
And next week, we're next pod, we are going to look at how Jesus restores our soul. So God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.